everyone. Um, Amadi's here with Jody, and we just wanted to do a kind of a quick episode uh, on opioid rotations. So opioid rotations, I think, is kind of a bit of a niche thing in the palliative world. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of other areas of medicine where they talk a ton about opioid rotations. Um, but we'll start off with a case as usual. So Mr. Jones is a, um, is a gentleman with non-small cell lung cancer, and he has metastases to the bones. Uh, he has been on escalating doses of morphine and is currently on morphine-sustained release, uh, 30 milligrams twice a day, and he uses as-needed doses as needed. As needed. <laughs> initially, initially fairly infrequently, but is using more and more escalating doses of his PRNs, short-acting morphine. Unfortunately, he recently saw his oncologist and they noticed that he had some renal dysfunction that was kind of new for him. So his estimated GFR, his eGFR, went from 75 to 30. So that's below our normal threshold of 60. And uh, he starts noting increasing pain despite escalating doses of his morphine. And he notices that the pain is now, you know, it used to be mainly where he had his bony metastases in his ribs and in his arm. But now he's noticing that it's kind of more diffuse and all over. Harder to point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and his wife notices that he tends to twitch a lot, especially at nighttime and sometimes wakes himself up because of the twitching. And she's also noticed that his thinking has been a little bit more fuzzy. He can't keep track of his medicines or a conversation they may have had the day before. None of this sounds good, Amani. None of this sounds good. So what is this, Jody? It is opioid-induced neurotoxicity, O-I-N. Yeah, opioid-induced neurotoxicity. So I guess, well, I'll just start off by saying what the difference between this and narcosis. Yes, please do. Yeah, because a lot of our um, trainees are confused the two. Narcosis or narcotization is when you use an opioid and due to the parent drug, like the active drug, um, it hits opioid receptors and can cause a clinical syndrome of findings that include respiratory depression, so reduced um, respiratory rate, and meiosis, small pupil size, and sedation. So, like layman's terms, overdose type situation? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So narcosis is basically overdose. And we treat that by giving a medication called... Narcan. Narcan, naloxone. naloxone, exactly. Because we're then antagonizing those opioid receptors that right. are just oversaturated, right? Yeah. Um, and so we often see pretty rapid effect within a few minutes at most with the um, naloxone. Mm-hmm. So to differentiate that from opioid-induced neurotoxicity, that's not from opioid, the parental opioids... Um, occupying these receptors, this is caused, we think, we're not totally sure actually, but we think it's caused by the metabolites or the breakdown products of these opioids. So, you know, morphine, for example, goes through a process of glucuronidation as part of its metabolism, and these are actually active metabolites. And so, unfortunately, in predisposed people or at higher doses, it can cause this constellation of symptoms that we call opioid-induced neurotoxicity. So what are the features of opioid-induced neurotoxicity? Some of them we pointed to in the case. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Jody, if you can start listening. I'll try and think of some that, that I can think of. Um, 
the twitching for sure, what we would call myoclonus. Yeah. The foggy thinking, the confusion, short-term memory, um, where it can go, to my understanding, to something like hallucinations. Totally. Okay. And even um, seizures. Okay. And, yeah. Yikes. I don't know if I've ever seen that. But yeah, yeah I haven't either. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Yeah. The hyperalgesia, what mm-hmm. you were saying, so more of that total pain, unable to pinpoint where that pain is coming from, um, and even like light touch causing severe pain totally yeah and so i i explain that like myoclonus to people as you know a lot of us have experienced myoclonus it's normal when we're really really tired and we're trying to fall asleep you often get that that jerking feeling that jerks you back to sleep (laughs) jody's husband the jig is up no (laughs) but yeah so that can happen um, but but it's not that's not pathological. But like when it's happening very frequently, um, our patients who who are experiencing opioid induced neurotoxicity definitely notice it more when they're dozing off or they're drowsy, uh, and it, they, it jerks them back awake. And it happens more frequently. So that's when it's definitely more of a problem. And yeah, definitely the pain all over. And we call it paradoxical worsening of pain. Mm. So like they're taking more and more opioids, but their pain is getting worse. So that's a really important feature for people to keep on top of. Mm -hmm. And then you already alluded to the hyperalgesia. Totally. Some people talk about even like sheets brushing on them hurting Mm. or, you know, during the exam, you, you palpate something and you think this should not be a painful stimulus, but it's quite painful for them. Yeah, and delirium is definitely a potential feature. Mm-hmm. In our gentleman, Mr. Jones, he wasn't quite there in terms of a full-blown delirium, but he is starting to notice some, or his wife at least, is starting to notice some cognitive effects. It's usually the wife. <laughs> <laughs> and we've already alluded to the cause. Uh, and then we can just quickly talk about treatment. Yeah. So what, was the, what are the three things you just taught me? Yeah, so I, and I learned this from one of our clinical nurse specialists in palliative care years and years ago, and I thought it was such a great way to remember mm-hmm. how to treat opioid-induced neurotoxicity. And she says, you want to rotate, hydrate, and palliate. So rotate the opioids, hydrate by giving IV or at least encouraging to take lots of PO fluids if they can to help flush out the metabolites and palliate. We mean if they have an agitated delirium, you want to manage the distress caused by that by using neuroleptics. But that's not always the case. Like I say, Mr. Jones doesn't have a delirium, never mind an agitated delirium. So that's only an as needed situation. Yeah. When we talk about opioid rotation, you know, I don't know, Jody. like the three opioids that we most commonly think of when we're rotating. Can you talk about those? So we'd go, the three main ones, morphine, hydromorphone, oxycodone. And of course, in a situation like Mr. Jones with his kidney function getting worse, we would want to switch from that morphine right away because we know that's often the culprit um, in renal dysfunction. Uh, whereas something like a hydromorphone is a lot safer in renal dysfunction. So my suggestion would be to rotate to a hydromorphone. Do we want to talk ratios? What are common? Yeah, and I think just to your point about the renal dysfunction, I think this is a good point. So your choice of what to rotate to. Let's talk about four opioids. So we talked about the three most common, morphine, hydromorphone, and oxycodone. And then we also want to think about fentanyl. Mm -hmm. Let's assume Mr. Jones is on upwards of 120 milligrams of morphine equivalents per day. Mm -hmm. My um, teaching, again, is that if you're above a morphine equivalent daily dose of 90 milligrams for at least a month, then you can consider fentanyl. Because I would consider those people to be 
not opioid naive and, and able to tolerate a stronger opioid like fentanyl. You can, but from a drug coverage point of view, this is true. In, in Alberta, with our provincial coverage, they require you to have tried two separate. Um, renal dysfunction would be a would be a, yeah. a contraindication, but then they would expect you have tr- to have tried hydromorphone mm-hmm. before okay. going to fentanyl. With the caveat being, we could consider it if we considered them a palliative case. Um, like palliative blue cross is okay. Palliative blue yeah. cross would yeah. cover the fentanyl. Yeah. Uh, if we're looking at somebody who's got a good prognosis still. Um, then you need to try the hydromorphone. Although I would argue, unfortunately, that hydromorphone at higher doses, especially sustained release hydromorphone, is better than morphine, but I don't think is ideal for especially severe renal dysfunction. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Just telling you what the government wants. Yeah, no, it's helpful. So (laughs) unless your patient is um, on palliative blue cross benefits, right? And then that's your pharmacist's job to figure out. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So what do you choose to rotate? Let's pretend that coverage is not a factor. I mean, this is not realistic. It is a factor and you should consider it. But in an ideal world, if you have severe renal dysfunction, fentanyl would be a better choice. Your pharmacist will get it covered. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll go to fentanyl. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So let's talk about morphine. Morphine, let's consider the reference point or your hydrogen atom on the table of elements. I am totally a nerd. (laughs) But yes, Um, morphine is our reference. Yes. So morphine, if that's a given a value of one, then we consider hydromorphone to be five times more potent. Mm -hmm. So if we're rotating from 100 milligrams of morphine, that would be equivalent to 20 milligrams of hydromorphone. (laughs) And if we were rotating from morphine to oxycodone, we consider oxycodone, I mean, this varies from where you look at it, anywhere Mm -hmm. from two to three, but I tend to err on the side of cost, like whatever's most conservative, depending on the direction I'm rotating. But I'll pretend that oxycodone is two times more potent than morphine if I'm rotating to... um, Oxycodone. So you'd go 100 of morphine is 50 of oxycodone. Sorry, the more conservative way would be three. Okay. So, yeah, so anywhere in there. So I would divide it by three. So 33 point whatever. Um, Yeah. You can't get a 33.33 tablet. (laughs) Yeah. So you need to round. (laughs) Um, And, but, you know, it's not wrong, I think, to use a two to one ratio, and a lot of people do that. Yeah, I think it really depends on the situation and how monitored they are, how bad their pain is. Exactly. We'll get to that, other factors for how much you rotate. Yeah. But these are the ratios. So hydromorphone to morphine, 5 to 1. Oxycodone to morphine, 2 to 1. Fentanyl, it's a bit trickier. You know, Controversial. You, yeah. You can look at the drug monograph. It's not super helpful. Please don't look at the drug monograph. It, there's very large, <laughs> long, like very large ranges for MEDD to a certain patch dose. Like yeah. I think it's like 60 to 135 oral morphine uh, milligrams per day, what we call morphine equivalent daily dose. MEDD. MEDD is equivalent to 25 mics. That's a huge range. Yeah, that makes me uncomfortable. So what do we use practically? Do you want to share what you like to use? What I use is a simple conversion of one milligram of parenteral morphine equals 10 micrograms of fentanyl. So you would take your MEDD, so your daily dose, um, Oral daily dose of morphine, you would divide by two to get your parenteral uh, daily dose of morphine. And then you basically times by 10 and change it to micrograms. 
and that gives you your 24-hour dose of fentanyl. And because we give fentanyl um, either by patch or by infusion of micrograms per hour, you would divide by 24 to get your dose of micrograms per hour. Does Which that make sense? It does to me, but I'm very used to this. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. so another way to, to say this is that IV fentanyl is 100 times more potent than IV morphine. Yes. So that's one rotation strategy. Mm-hmm. But what you're saying is if you're then converting, we're converting to an hourly rate mm-hmm. because we're either giving fentanyl by an infusion mm-hmm. or by a patch. In, in either case, you want to figure out what the hourly rate is because with the patch, you're looking at micrograms per hour delivered. That's how the patch is dosed, yes. right? So then you take whatever your total fentanyl daily dose is by that 101 conversion that we talked about, and then you divide it by 24 to get your hourly rate. Absolutely. Okay, great. Um, The other way to look at fentanyl rotation, sorry, conversion ratios, is we commonly narrow that range down I talked about in the monograph. So instead of 60 to 135 morphine equivalent daily dose, or MEDD, and remember, MEDD means the total oral milligrams of morphine per day, So if you have a 60 to 90 MEDD, we would use a 25 microgram per hour fentanyl patch. You may need to listen to this episode a few times if you're (laughs) heading into a palliative rotation, because I realize this can be confusing. But if you listen to it a few times, I'm I'm sure it'll make sense. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, another way that is probably on the more, well, yeah, it is on the more aggressive side, uh, but it's published, is you take your oral MEDD, and you divide it by two. So let's say you have 100 milligrams of total morphine used in 24 hours. Divide it by two, and you get a 50 Mix. microgram per hour patch dose. But if you go back and look at any other method we've used, it's almost double. Yeah, that one makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm lucky in the area I work in, I'm an inpatient. So I am allowed to be, in my opinion, um, quite conservative. I can do a very conservative conversion mm-hmm. um, and then titrate up quickly mm-hmm. based on PRNs, based on uh, pain scale ratings. Whereas Especially if they have a PCA, exactly, patient-controlled yeah, exactly. analgesia, where they can push a button every 15 or 20 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas in an outpatient where you need to get, you want to get their pain in, in control um, and all you have to work with is the patch, you can't do an infusion, I can see where sometimes that might be a more effective way to go you need to treat that pain yeah i mean we can yeah it gets into a whole other topic i think rotations of opioids is really tricky in the community too because you don't want to be overly aggressive either no exactly because you need people who understand what an overdose looks like versus a yeah. neurotoxicity and and they're not as monitored so yeah, yeah exactly. it's just tricky so so we talked about the conversion ratios but the other concept that's important is um do we just do that conversion ratio and leave it at that or do do we do you often dose reduce so oftentimes we talk about something called cross tolerance mm-hmm. which means if you've been using one medicine one type of opioid for a long time and then you switch to another opioid, you might actually need less than the equivalent dosing, mm-hmm. presumably because your body is, you know, your receptors haven't upregulated to that particular drug or for whatever reason. But I love that you're a bigger pharmacy nerd than I am. 
<laughs> but for some reason, you're less tolerant of that new drug is yes. the idea mm-hmm. compared to the old drug. So then, you know, on average, people talk about this 25 to 30% mm-hmm. reduction for cross tolerance. But I always teach that it depends. It really depends. Yeah. So what if their pain was quite severe? Would you reduce as much or less? Or I wouldn't reduce as much. And that just comes from seeing the palliative physicians on the unit. I remember I used to do the calculations to be like, wait, they didn't reduce for cross tolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be because they were also in a pain crisis. Yeah, and here's where it gets really tricky. <laughs> because if we're talking about opioid-induced neurotoxicity, again, that paradoxical worsening of pain is because of those metabolites. Mm-hmm. And so I would argue that I even sometimes reduce more because I want to clear Damn, I No, I want to clear those metabolites yeah. and I and I think that I don't want to get them into the same pickle with like a new drug. So it's a what it comes down to is really figuring it figuring out pain crisis versus like this hyperalgesia, the hyperalgesia. in the setting of neurotoxicity. And that's your sure. job. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And it's you know what? It's 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 a clinical assessment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but as you said, you've got PRN doses available and these folks are monitored around the clock. Yeah. But if other reasons we might rotate would be, as you say, a pain crisis. Mm-hmm. So somebody's on escalating doses. They don't have horrible side effects. They don't have neurotoxicity, but we're like, you know, we're on really high doses of this opioid and we're, I just don't think it works for this person. Mm -hmm. And so now we need to rotate them to a different opioid. And in this case, we probably won't reduce for cross tolerance or not as much. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, let's take a look at a third reason to rotate opioids, which is dose limiting side effects. Mm -hmm. So let's say somebody has pretty good pain control. But this hydromorphone gives them so much nausea Mm -hmm. and they want to rotate to something else. In this case, we might cross reduce Mm -hmm. 25, 30% or even more Mm -hmm. because their pain is well tolerated. It's just the side effects are the reason driving the rotation. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I don't know. Like makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Cross tolerance isn't, um, isn't a given and it's a little more, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Like a judgment call? Yeah. Welcome to palliative care. It's a judgment call. <laughs> it is a judgment call. And I think, as we've referred to a few times now, if you're giving as-needed doses and you're following up with people on a short-term interval, then it's better to side on the air of caution. Absolutely. So, sorry, side on the air of caution. <laughs> air on the side of caution. Air on the side of caution. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but I completely agree. Um, I think there, there are some out there... That would disagree, but I, it, in my opinion, conservative is the way to go. Yeah, yeah. This is where it's a little bit of an art and medicine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is why I love palliative care. It's not, nothing's, yeah. nothing's just charts and following <laughs> Protocols. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the art side of it. Yeah, so to summarize, our Mr. Jones has his has non-small cell lung cancer with bony metastases and he was ticking along on escalating doses of morphine but unfortunately developed opioid-induced neurotoxicity characterized by hyperalgesia, pain all over, myoclonus, and some cognitive dysfunction. And so we rotated for that reason. We decide to rotate him to a medication that is renally safe, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So we, you go to fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about 
our different rotation strategies for fentanyl. The only thing I'll add is, personally, I use at least two different calculation methods because I like to check that mm-hmm. if, I, like, it kind of a sensitivity analysis in my head, like knowing that the methods are different, I often pick a dose that's somewhere in the middle right. of two different methods. So that's if very I was, political money. <laughs> So if I was to, let's say he was on 100 milligrams of morphine, mm-hmm. oral MEDD divided by two, that's a 50 mic per hour patch. If we were to use the 100 to 1 ratio, Jody, do you have a sense of what you would give him there? Um, that would be closer to a 25 mics per hour patch. Yeah. Um, the actual calculation is closer to 20.8. Right. But and of course, we know patches come as 12s, 25s, 50s, and onward. Um yeah, so you so might go case, 18. You could do 18, yeah, yeah, depending on his situation, yeah. So that's quite a range, um, and I would say, again, if he's got neurotoxicity, we want to cross, we want to reduce for cross-tolerance a fair amount there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's quite a range, right? So anywhere between 18 and 50, yeah. right? So, you know, and I often do a third method <laughs> and take, take a look and, and as you say, assess yeah, the situation. Like. So I guess the point here is fentanyl is not an easy drug. It's, an, it's a very strong opioid mm-hmm. and do not feel, do not hesitate to ask for help if you're starting out with these opioid rotations, especially Absolutely. with fentanyl. Absolutely. So we rotate him and his pain does better. His cognitive dysfunction improves slowly over several days. You also give him some IV hydration to help flush out those metabolites. Mm-hmm. And he thanks you. He feels more comfortable. He feels he's not having those jerking motions. So that's great. Are we going to send him home on a fentanyl infusion? No. Heck no. <laughs> what are we going to do? Um, we'll switch him to the patch. Mm-hmm. And I won't really go into the... I don't think we need to talk about how we do that. Eventually, maybe we could talk about that. But uh, it's a one-to-one conversion. So mm-hmm. you would... Um, so an 18 mic per hour infusion, let's say, or let's say we wind up on 25 mics yeah, per hour infusion. make it a little bit easier. Um, so that converts to a 25 mics per hour patch. Mm-hmm. Um, so then comes my job of teaching him how to do the patch properly. Yeah, I mean, okay. I think we can even just say that the patch, we don't just slap it on and take off the infusion right away. Right. Right? Yeah. So there needs to be a bit of overlap because... Uh, the patch works by creating a subcutaneous depot of drug, and that takes time, anywhere between 12 to 18 hours. So we tend to, to have an overlap of 12 hours yeah. where we slowly taper the infusion after we've put on the patch, yeah. right? Some would argue, some will do it over six. Yeah. So we could have that argument. <laughs> I mean, if you're a palliative fellow... We can have that debate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah. yes, we would we would uh, put the patch on and then slowly decrease the infusion as we're allowing the patch to begin creating that depot and, and absorbing into the system. Um, eventually, we would send the patient home on the patch. There's still a lot of drug left in that patch. Uh, so we fold it together so the sticky studs are together. And then the one thing that drives me absolutely nuts... Um, and I teach all my, tell all my students about this, is if you look at the drug monograph, it actually tells you to flush that patch down the toilet. Oh, don't do that, please. I have yet to meet a person who thinks that's a good idea. It, like, hurts my heart. So please don't ever do that. Um, you're going to clog your toilet. Don't counsel your to, patients to do no. that. So what I always counsel my patients to do is either to put it in a sharps container 
or to put it in um, at least some sort of sealable container up high, out of reach, um, and then take it back to your pharmacy to be disposed of properly. Um, that's especially important if you've got kids or pets at home. Um, if somebody gets a hold of this that uh, is opioid naive, there is enough drug in there to cause some serious, serious harm. Um, so that's the number one safety talk I give to them. The other uh, big thing I talk to them about is heat. Um, so not putting heat directly on the patch, um, as well as anything that would raise the core body temperature, hot tubs, saunas, um, things like that. Um, and the reason for that being it increases the um, absorption rate, so they're absorbing more of that drug um, and can cause themselves toxicity that way. I actually had a patient specifically do that at the mm -hmm. end of like the day three um, to increase. To and eke out the last dose. Yeah, not it a, made me slightly uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's the other big safety feature or safety thing I go through with them. And then just the basics, like it's put on and then replaced every 72 hours. Yeah. And please remind your patient to take, or the caregiver, to take off the old patch. Yes. But when they put on the new patch, as, as you mentioned, like there's still some active yeah. medication in the old patch. And the other thing is often patients will be on more than one patch. So remembering to remove all of the patches um, and making sure they're all kind of in the same area versus all over somebody's body. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing is when you're replacing the patch, you're putting it on a different part of your body. Body, um, a different site because you're going to end up with a rash if you just keep putting that patch and on what the are some site. of the features of like ideal body spots to put it on um i always, I always do a pat down on my body it's like a, <laughs> it's upper arms um upper back lower back um those are kind of the main ones i think you can do front as well like the abdomen hip, yeah abdomen type of area um yeah, the monograph doesn't specify below the hips at all. It's usually above the hips. It is. It's trunk area, yeah. basically. And um, more with more subcutaneous fat, just because, again, it's a lipophilic medicine. Yeah. So we want to have it. We definitely need that subcute fat. And so this is another pearl to remember is, you know, with a lot of our oncology or palliative patients, they become cachectic over time. And so a patch, unfortunately, cannot. it's not as effective. You yeah. might find that you need higher doses in the setting of cachexia yeah. and some would say that even there's like some protein binding that happens and with you know albumin levels going down it can impact the drug's effectiveness it's a little bit more advanced concept but mm -hmm. there are lots of factors that can affect um, the delivery of the drug absolutely yeah all right well we just did a little fentanyl boot camp at the end of that yeah opioid rotation and fentanyl <laughs> bonus bonus <laughs> okay well is there anything else or should we just I think we should say goodnight. All right, guys. Hope you found that helpful. Like I say, with the opioid rotations, it does take time. Listen to this a few times if you want. But also, um, they, you know, I know for our learners, we have opioid rotation workbooks. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there are resources out there to help you work through some conversion cases. Just not the monograph. Not the monograph. The monograph gives you bad charts and flushing patches. Yeah. Just don't. <laughs> All right. All right. Talk to you soon. We hope you enjoyed our episode today. We'd like to extend a special thank you to Zahid Damani for producing and editing our episodes, as well as for our beautiful website, Kasim Harani for the music, and Nishan Sharma for all of his support getting us up and running. Thank you also to our financial sponsor, Dr. Srinichari. If you liked this episode, please let us know by clicking like and subscribing to our podcast. 
You can find It's Not All About Death on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform for podcasts. You can also find our episodes and connect with us anytime by visiting our website at itsnotallaboutdeath.com or on Instagram at itsnotallaboutdeath.com.